At the 815 service, I had commented to the, the congregation there um, that I had just enjoyed watching uh, Kimla lead the, the choir that morning because she played, as she does for us in worship, and uh, was leading the choir at the same time. And so I was commenting just how powerfully you know, you can communicate with your eyes as she was kind of cueing them and, and kind of encouraging them. And it was really interesting to see. And I say that because, again, that nonverbal communication. A few moments ago, when I attempted to dismiss the kids for our... Um, I got a lot of nonverbal communication from right here. So um, what we wanted to do this morning, what they're looking forward to seeing is... Uh, you've heard a lot in these last few weeks as the kids were gearing up for camp this week... Uh, we ask for your prayers. I know many of you have shared how you were praying for them all week 28. Uh, young people that went to camp, three adults, uh, Julie, Tony, and Hildy, that went and stayed with them for the week during camp. You can clap them there. And um, a lot of parents that drove up on Monday and drove up again on Saturday to, to help get the kids back. So it was, it was a fantastic week. Uh, they were taking pictures. Of, there were 500 kids at camp. This week, that's elementary age, middle school, and high school. And um, so there's, they do a big video of the camp, but it has all the kids. But um, Tony and Julie, and I know when Joe came up, they take pictures. They try to focus in on our kids. And so as we've done every year, Joe put that together into a video that we want to share with you because you are part of, you're a big reason this is possible. Your support of the youth and their ministries and their fundraising makes this possible. So we want to share this video with you so you can get a kind of a glimpse as to what this past week was like for each of them. Great. 
Now you may be dismissed. <laughs> Look at him. We, uh, and, and Joe, who puts that together, and I know I speak for, for Joe and Julie, for the kids, certainly for, for all of us, and thanking you for um, your support of this and for making this possible. If you get a chance, um, you know, grab some of the kids that went to camp. Have them tell you about it. It is a fantastic, and in some cases, a life-changing week. You got a, a glimpse of a lot of the fun stuff, uh, the activities, uh, the times out on the lake. How many of you ever been to the youth camp or the adult life enrichment center? All right, not a lot of you. It's there's it's surrounded by lakes. I mean, it's I think it's a, a kind of a peninsula there, and um, and there's a lot of gators in those lakes. That keeps them in the canoes and on the rafts. That's good incentive. Um, but uh, but it is it is fantastic. But they also, uh, in addition to all that, which you don't kind of necessarily see in the video as much, you saw the one shot. It was very um, shadowy, but you could see the lights on the stage and the kids were done. There was 500 kids, you know, crammed into the, the Barnett Lodge and they're worshiping every afternoon. It's, pray, it's loud and it smells like campers. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, and then every night they gather for worship, each night in their age, and, and ce they celebrate communion together and they, they sing and they worship and they hear speakers. And so it is not just understand, it's not just fun and games. It is a lot of fun and games, but at the heart of it is, is an encounter with Jesus and relationships and, and memories that, that will uh, last a lifetime. So thank you for that. Um, and we'll start soon, I'm sure, gearing up for next week, next year. So I should say not next week, next year. Uh, next week would be, that would be a little bad. Let me see something. What's that? Another chaperone if they go next week, yes, I agree. Now, um, this is kind of a, a very drastic um, transition from kind of the joy and the fun of camp uh, to getting into our scripture today, because our scripture really comes from a very, very different place uh, today in the 22nd Psalm. I'm going to read the first 15 verses here, but uh, let me encourage you, if you have your Bibles open, leave them open, because we're going to come back to it. Um, and it's, it's really a psalm that is the opposite of the kind of uh, emotions that we celebrated with camp and what we just saw. It comes from a very, very different place. So hear not only the words, but allow the, the, the emotion of this psalm, of this song, if you will, uh, that David writes. Allow that to speak to you. Hear these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions like that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. 
I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, hard words for us to hear, but give us hearts to listen, to be open to your Holy Spirit, to your voice, and speak to us in this place, in these moments. We pray in Christ. Amen. Motivation, positivity, uh, encouragement. It has become somewhat of a kind of a, a cottage industry in the day in which we live. And what I mean by a cottage industry is you can go to novelty stores and um, country stores and, and you can find plaques and, and pictures that have inspirational and encouraging sayings to kind of lift your spirits and, and motivate you to, to be better and to do more and to succeed and thrive. Uh, you can go on social media and you can find them all over the place. Things that are meant to inspire um, Sayings like, sometimes the bad things in life are meant so that you will pay attention to the good things you haven't noticed. Or sayings like, um, your strength today, uh, I'm sorry, your, your struggle today is de developing your strength for tomorrow. Think positively and good positive things will happen. These kind of sayings, and you've, you've heard a lot of them, you've seen them, and they're good, they're, they're valuable. I, I have a, a bulletin board and I have some positive encouraging sayings. I think we need some of that in our lives and, and we should pay attention to some of those things and if they speak to you, grab onto them. But the reality is that for, um, well, in Newton's uh, laws, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. For every yin, there is a yang. And so for those who would sell and promote positivity and encouragement, there are those who sell um, despair and hopelessness. Hopefully tongue-in-cheek, but it exists. There is a company out there called Despair Incorporated. And they market the very opposite of what I just spoke of. For instance, remember as, as kids or maybe even adults that the Halloween uh, Halloween, sorry, the um, Valentine's Day hearts that you would, you would get that had little sayings on them, you know, cutie pie and love you and be mine and those kind of things. Well, they sell a very similar kind of candy, but it's called a bittersweet, and it has a very different message. On their messages, you will read things rather than love you and sweetie pie, you'll read things like um, call a shrink or um, up your dosage or see the door. You know, that very, very different kind of messages. And, and that same company has started to market at what they call demotivational posters. And, and they very much look like the kind of posters we may be familiar with, but they have a very different message. I grabbed some of these. Let me see if I can bring these up. There we go. Okay, these are, you've seen these kind of pictures. I know you can't read that, but if you've seen these kind of picturesque things with motivation, well, this one's different. Some of you are reading it. I can hear you. It says, Adversity. That which does not kill me only postpones the inevitable. Or, let's see, but this one it says, Mistakes. It could be that the only purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to others. 
about this one. Pessimism. It's a picture of the clouds, the light. Pessimism. Every dark cloud has a silver lining. But lightning kills hundreds of people each year who are looking to find it. <laughs> Last two. This one's the favorite of the morning. This one says, Government, if you think the problems we create are bad, wait till you see our solutions. <laughs> and then lastly, this one says, Despair. It's always darkest just before it gets pitch black. Now, these are not the kind of things that are going to inspire you. In fact, the logo of the motto of the company is whether you're a pessimist, a failure, or an underachiever, the motivational posters can inspire you to new lows. Uh, that's how they market their product. Now, I, I want to believe, and I hope, that um, their stuff is tongue-in-cheek and it's meant just for a laugh. At least that's what I want to believe. But I bring that up because it does speak, I believe, to a truth that we all face from time to time. That is, no matter how positive we may be naturally, and some people are very positive, some people struggle more with it, no matter how much we tend to look on the bright side and try to find the best in everything, I think, I think that we all have moments when that just feels impossible. I think. Now, maybe you're an exception, and there may be some, and I don't want to project everybody. Sometimes I project my own realities onto others, and, and maybe that's not fair. But, but I certainly know that in my own life, as much as I do try to be positive, there's moments it just seems like an impossible task. When the walls feel like they're closing in, when the lights feel like they've been shut out, when you kind of understand that feeling, it's always darkest before it goes pitch black. And that is where the psalm opens today. That is where David is when he writes this, this prayer to God. It is a prayer of a heart that is in the moment having a hard time finding any silver lining. That is trapped in a moment of despair. And it begins with words that are likely, at least quite possibly, very familiar to you. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? It's the words that Jesus would quote on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes on there again. You heard me read. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I want you to hear that honest gut-wrenching lament, that prayer before God. He, he goes on in the, in the verses I read to talk about the, the nature of God who has redeemed and has saved and has delivered his people over and over. And you say, well, why does he bring that up? Because his prayer, his heart is saying, Lord, you've done it before. Why aren't you doing it now? Where are you in this moment? In verse 8, he talks about the fact that in his faith he is being mocked by others. He feels the whole world has turned against him. And it is a deep and it is an honest and is a reflective prayer of where David is in the moment. As he is in this dark place and, and the setting of, of the writing of this is this tension that he's under, this fear for his life that he's under because the king who is Saul wants him dead. The king who is wants to kill the king who's going to be. 
And he sees this, this reality and he, he just, he cries that familiar prayer. Why? Why? In my faith and in my desire to be obedient, why am I in this place? Where are you in this moment? And I just, I've got to believe it's a prayer that we at least at some level can identify with. I feel most of us have had that kind of a moment, or many of those kind of moments. In 1947, Glenn Chambers got on a plane in Miami, Florida to, find to, to fly to Ecuador to begin his mission work. Tragically, that plane never made it. It crashed into the side of a mountain in Journey, and all those who were aboard were killed. A few days later, his grieving mother received a letter, and it was from Glenn. In the airport in Miami, kind of at the last minute, he decided to, to write his mother a note, but he didn't have any stationery. So he found an advertising flyer, and he wrote his note on the flyer. I don't know what the product was that it was advertised, but that flyer had one big word in bold print in the middle of the page, and it was the word that would greet his mother as she opened that letter. And it said, why? Why? The question undoubtedly she was asking. The question we have undoubtedly asked is the same question that David, this, this symbol of faith and obedience in so many ways, and sometimes of incredible shortcoming and failure. That's why he's such a wonderful biblical character for us to study because he is at both extremes, much the way we are. But here he's, he's why? Why? And I wish that this was the kind of a sermon that I could answer that question. I wish that I was smart enough, deep enough, insightful enough, wise enough to be able to give you the kind of sermon so that when you are in those moments, you can go, Chris gave me the answer to the why question. But I don't have that answer. Occasionally, situationally, depending, we may, that may become clear, but a lot of times... We, we struggle with that. I struggle with that. And, and what happens is, in those moments in my life, I turn to what is a, a, a fallback mode for me, and that becomes kind of an intellectual pursuit. I, I struggle to understand it with my mind, with my, with my head. And I go into theology, the study of God. Or I move into theodicy, which is the study of why God allows bad things to happen. And so I pursue because I want to understand with my head. And that might be exactly what David was wanting. He wanted God to speak to him in such a way that it would all make sense. And so he seeks an answer to the question of why. But what he hears is a very different kind of response. Because God speaks into his circumstance. And he doesn't answer the question of why, but he answers the question of who. And what God does is what he did for David, is what he does for us, is, is he answers not our theology. He answers with theophany, which means the manifestation of God's presence. He answers David by reminding him that he's there. He answers David by affirming for him in his moments of struggle and and and. and difficulty, and his honest prayer. And let me say, honest prayer is invited by God. We fall into a trap too often of thinking that, that our prayer has to be 
positive and encouraging and, and, and flowery. Sometimes God invites us just to be honest and lay our hearts bare. And that's what David does. And the Psalms are full of those kinds of prayers. Job is full of those kinds of prayers. Moses had those moments with God. Elijah had those moments with God. Paul had those moments with God. We're invited to that kind of prayer and that kind of honesty and, and revelation, self-revelation to God. It's not new to him. But into that honest prayer that David prays, God reminds him that he's there. If, well, let me say this. I, I, made, I made a mistake. I did something that we shouldn't really do when we read the Psalms. And that is I stopped halfway through. I didn't finish it. I stopped at that, that deep and, and kind of gut-wrenching words where, where David says, you lay me in the dust of death. The problem is that's like watching a movie and quitting halfway through. The, the psalm is, is a complete prayer. It's a complete experience of God and, and the psalmist and, and of David. And so we need to finish it. And so if we were to keep reading, we will uncover that there is a point where the psalm pivots, the tone pivots, the understanding of David pivots. He goes on in the next few verses there. He continues the lament. But then you come to verse 21. And this is what we read. If you're reading like me from the New International Version, this is the words of verse 21. It says, Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, what's interesting is that can be translated a little more definitively. And in fact, if you're reading from the NRSV or maybe uh, another translation of the Bible, that, that translates a little different. It's a little more um, definitive in, in what's going on. Rather than rescue me from the mouths of lions, this is what you read. You have rescued me from the mouth of lions. You have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. In fact, I love the way the New King James Standard Version of the Bible says, it says, this definitive statement at the end of verse 21, you have answered me. And the interesting thing is that the Hebrew word for rescue is the same as it is for answered. So in verse 21, something happens. A question that is posed in verse 2 gets responded to. In verse 2, David said, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. But in verse 21, David says, you have answered me. From the lament to the affirmation. From verse 1 and 2 to verse 21, 22, 23, and 24. In fact, if you go on in verse 24, this is what he says. He says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. You've got to understand. I mean, that's a stark contrast. That's an incredible shift. From my God, why have you forsaken me? To you have not abandoned or afflicted me. And, and if you think the way I do, then what happens is you begin to go, well, what has changed? Something has changed between verse 1 and 2 and verse 21, 22, 23, 24 and following. And, and here's what hasn't changed. David's situation has not changed. He is still fearing for his life. He is still on the run. He has still got the storm clouds all around him. He's still in the same difficult, dangerous place that he was when he began the prayer. But what has happened between verse 1 and verse 21 is he has heard God's voice. And what he has heard to the question of his why 
is the answer of who? He has heard God speak into his life and remind him of this promise of faith. I am with you. Yes, you're in this place, but I have not abandoned you. I have not turned my back on you. I have not forgotten you. I am there. And what David is reminded of is what we need to be reminded of is sometimes in our prayers, God absolutely answers in such a way that he lifts us out of our difficulty. He lifts us out of our hardship. He puts us on solid ground. But sometimes the answer to our prayer is that he reminds us that in the midst of the storm and the darkness, I'm there. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't turned my back. I'm there to be your strength and your shield. It's the same truth that Jesus would claim on the cross. You know, what happens is we, we hear those words that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, it seems, and it appears to me, and I've always thought it is a cry of abandonment. It's Jesus crying out, God, where are you? But as I prepared for this sermon, I learned something I, I, I don't think I knew. If I did, I, I'd certainly forgotten it. But that in the ancient world, when you quoted a line of a psalm, you were affirming the entire thing. You were calling upon the entire psalm, the entire prayer. So when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It may not be as much a prayer of abandonment as it is an affirmation of faith that God hasn't abandoned me. God is here in his redemptive work and his strength and his blessing to turn even this moment of sorrow and pain into what will become the transformation of life and of hope. That's what God speaks into our lives. I don't always have the question of why, but I do have the answer to who, and that is God. And that our promise of faith is He never leaves, never abandons, never forsakens us, but He is with us every step of our journey from now until the day we step into His kingdom. When Ryan and Cassidy were born, I was given one job. I did a lot of things, but I was given one job by Tony, who was and is the boss. And that one job was this. Don't you leave our baby's side. Don't you leave the babies alone, whether it was Ryan or it was Cassidy. And, and what that meant, if, you, if you're familiar with the routine nowadays and have been through at least when they were born, when, when Ryan was born, when Cassidy was born, you know, the first thing they do is, is they check to make sure they're breathing, that they, they get the right color. They do that initial check to make sure everything looks as it should. And then after mom has had a few moments with the baby, the cord's been cut, they're taken to the nursery where they're weighed and, and cleaned up and, and, and bathed and, and all, all made ready to kind of come back to mama. And I talked when we started, talked about that nonverbal communication. All right. When they wheeled Ryan out when he was born, I temporarily forgot my job. And I s made the mistake of staying with Tony for a moment. And I'll never forget the look I got, <laughs> which basically said, your life is in jeopardy if you don't catch up to your son. And so I did. And at every moment after they were born, I was right there with them. I was right there with them. Every step, every experience, every, every moment of weighing and measuring and, and checking, I was there. As they cried, 
their eyes were closed as they grappled for life, for the first time I was there. And that for me has become the driving metaphor for, for what I hope to be as a father. That my children will know as long as there is breath in my body, I will be there for them. Every moment that they have, I will be there for them. Now, I don't get it right a lot. I fall short. But if I have that kind of passion for my children, as Jesus would say, if as an imperfect heaven, or perfect earthly father, I can love my kids in that way, how much more does our perfectly heaven, perfect heavenly father love us? How much more does he desire us to know the truth of our faith, that as we grapple for air and we flail our arms and we struggle to open our eyes in such a way that we can see that we learn to hear, I'm there. I am there. That's what David learns. That's what he affirms. That's the promise he holds on to. Life hasn't changed. The circumstances aren't any better at the end of Psalm 22 than they were at the beginning. But what's different is he's heard God's voice speak to him the truth of faith. I am there. That's our promise. As I um, was preparing this morning, doing my final preparation for this sermon, I, I, was, I was struggling, as is not uncommon, because I didn't feel like I had something to tie it all together. I didn't have the story to end it with, the object to kind of bring it home. And, and I thought, Lord, I, I don't have anything to help me end this sermon. And um, the Lord spoke. And he said, dummy. Lord and I are close, and we talk like that. Uh, he said, yes, you do. Think. And I started to just kind of, well, what am I missing? And then I remembered these were going to be here today. And I went, oh, yeah. This is a great way to remember the truth. Because periodically, and if you're new with us, you, you may not be familiar with this, but we, we bless these blankets that are made by Alma Wolbert and the, the blanket ministry team. Anybody in here on the blanket ministry team? Any of you? Okay, all right. Well, they're, they're throughout the services, and, and they make these blankets um, constantly. And when we get enough, we bring them out, we bless them at each service, and you're invited to take them as you leave. And, and they're blankets, some of them, by the tags, they're, they're for newborns. They're to give to parents or grandparents or any caregiver of, of new babies or a blessing. And some of them are meant to be given to those who are in difficult places, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And it reminds them that we're praying for them. But, but understand, we don't profess that these blankets have some mystical, magical quality to them. I don't, I don't tell you that if you take this to somebody who's sick, they're instantly going to be healed. That's, that's not what this ministry is. That may happen. And we pray for those kind of healings. But this is what I pray for even more deeply, that this blanket, when somebody holds it, when they see it, when they receive it, when they read the prayer, they remember a truth. That not only are we praying for them, but that as surely as they hold a tangible object, as they hold a blanket in their hands, they remember this truth. That in that moment, God's holding them in the very palm of his hand. That in that moment, wherever they are, whatever the circumstances may be and what they may become, there is no moment they will be anything less than held in the love and the compassion and close to the heart of God. That's what David remembered. That's what he remembered. That's the lesson he learned. And that's the promise of our faith, that God holds us in the very palm of his hand. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, whether it's the best of experiences, whether we're at the top of the mountain 
whether we're walking in the valley below, he is there. Paul says, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And maybe that needs to be our motivational slogan. Maybe that needs to be the promise that we cling to that speaks even to the moments of despair. Whether we live or whether we die, in this life and the next, we are the Lord's. May that be your hope. May that be your strength. And may that be the promise that you hold to. Let's pray. Whether we live, whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Help us to hear that. Help us to receive that, O oh God, and help us to remember that the question to our why is not always clear, but what is, is the answer of who, and that is Christ Jesus, who walks with us now and forever in your Holy Spirit, with your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Spirit. May we cling to that promise now and forever in the name of Christ. Amen.